0: Manchester. The city has been on the cutting edge since the birth of the Industrial Revolution. From John Dalton's atomic theory in 1803, to the invention of graphene in 2004, more recently it has given the world the greatest music ever made. Home to 2.8 million people living in 1.2 million dwellings over 500 square miles, Greater Manchester is the heart of the northern powerhouse, and has a bigger economy than the whole of Wales. But this economy does not work for everyone. As well as this bigger economy, Manchester also has a bigger homelessness problem. While the housing waitlist in Wales has 60,500 people on it, Manchester has over 100,000. The city is growing and needs to deliver over 10,000 homes per year to solve this crisis. But the trend has been downwards, with local authorities now owning just 60,000 properties compared to 264,000 in 1994.
1: Most of us are insulated from the realities of this. At the most extreme end, it results in people being literally homeless. And the consequences of homelessness are probably not understood by the vast majority. That affects your ability to have a job and maintain that job. It affects your ability to get a bank account. It starts to undermine the fundamentals that allow you to be safe and to thrive. And I think a lot of the debate, understandably, is around those people that are most severely debilitated by the absence of a social or affordable home in which they can live, be secure and thrive. The issue in our communities has become much wider than that. Those impacted by an inability to access a home now extend into fundamental social areas like key workers. So teachers, nurses, hospital workers, the fire brigade personnel. And the consequence of that is that they have to live much further away from where they work They often do shift work, so they're then faced with long, expensive journeys to try and get back to their place of work. And for many, of course, that simply isn't viable.
0: As well as the human cost, there is an incredible financial incentive for local authorities to deal with the problem.
1: The consequences of these things start to manifest themselves in a compound way. So the problem for the local authority is that it has a legal responsibility to house some of these people. To do that, because it has no access to housing, it has to place them in private for rental accommodation and effectively top up the rental payment, which means that the cost to the local authority continues to go up. So their budgets are tight anyway, and they're now faced with a massive financial exposure paying additional top-up fees on rental because they simply don't have access to homes that can be rented out at the genuine, affordable social rent level.
0: It is a problem that Britain has struggled with for decades, and it is time to come at it in a different way. Hello, and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. In this episode, we look at how Atkins subsidiary Ederoth, a new housing developer, is offering local authorities a way to build high-quality social housing cheaply, quickly and en masse. And best of all, it will be sited on unwanted brownfield land that has so far been unattractive to developers. In the case of Manchester alone, space for 120,000 homes has been identified.
1: My name is Mark Powell, and I'm the managing director of Ederoth, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Atkins, which is entirely focused on trying to provide social affordable housing to the public sector in the UK.
0: Ederoth sounds appropriately Tolkienian for a company that aims to convert wasteland into fantasy homes for desperate people. But it actually stands for Everyone deserves a roof over their head. It is a mantra that Mark feels keenly. He has spent the last four years talking to local authorities, asking them, simply...
1: What's keeping you awake at night? Uh, And invariably, housing kept appearing. You know, these CEOs were very stressed uh, for a variety of very good reasons, but every single one of them had in their top three, if not their top one, housing, housing, housing.
0: And it has given him this appreciation for the size of
1: the problem. The problem actually is huge and is probably best captured by some of the reports that Shelter produce.
0: Shelter is a charity that campaigns to end homelessness and to improve the quality of housing in England and Scotland.
1: And the the most recent update from Shelter again demonstrates that whilst the amount of house building going on in the UK is quite significant actually, and it shows that The private sector building houses for sale or for rent are exceeding the targets for that market by somewhere like 7%. The issue that it flags up is that effectively the delivery of new social and affordable housing is in the negative position. Because despite the fact that the private sector developers through 106 agreements...
0: 106 agreements are a contract clause where the local authority stipulates that a certain number of houses built on the land it sells must be social and affordable.
1: Provide a certain percentage of their housing developments to local authorities for social affordable housing. That is being outnumbered by the homes that the local authority is losing access to under right-to-buy schemes.
0: Right to buy refers to a series of pieces of legislation in the UK's political history that have allowed tenants of state-owned housing to buy the property they live in at a substantial discount. Although this does allow the transfer of a lot of capital to the poorer sections of society, it limits the social housing stock for future generations if new housing targets are not met.
1: The challenge for local authorities at the minute is to say there's a lot of pressure coming on them from central government and the offer of all sorts of funding potentially to help uh, support the creation of housing. But but the issue for them is that they don't yet understand the definition and the detail of what's required of them. So as a consequence, there are lots of meetings that are debates discussing these issues and how we deliver affordable and social housing many of those debates are at a local level Uh, some of them are at a national level the national level therefore gives a wider spectrum if you like on the issue and the local tends to be a little more parochial if you like and, and and you need both but in truth those conversations continue to be circular because they lack direction that results in confidence for the local authority in taking action.
0: But there is some good news. A local authority housing report was released at the end of July in response to a central government statement that local authorities have to go back to building social housing on their own account, and that delivery needs to be accelerated through the use of what Mark calls modern methods of construction.
1: So what we're producing is small numbers of homes that give the local authority, that's been bold enough to think differently, confidence that homes sourced through a modern method as opposed to traditional is in fact workable, that the contracts that they need to have in place are, are acceptable and that the quality of the product that they get both in terms of its initial delivery and its subsequent performance will do the job.
0: With the public sector, there is always a degree of conservatism
1: when it comes to new ideas. And of course, our culture is somewhat blame-related and that makes it very difficult for people to to have the courage to think differently or to take a risk. And so we find local authorities are looking at central government saying, you're offering funding, you're talking strongly about the use of modern methods of construction. Is it really OK to do these things? And you know, how do we know that we will get a quality product and not produce, as, as somebody has said to us recently, uh, pocket ghettos of the future, which, you know, is a horrifying thought, clearly. But that's the nature of, in a way, local authorities, central government and politics, of course, that it debates these things. And
0: this runs the risk of turning into what Mark calls a talking shop. I,
1: I personally think there's a risk that we can over-debate it and that debate could result in us trying to create perfection, when actually some of the people that we are trying to support are in desperate circumstances, and I think some of the subtleties of the conversation don't land well with those people. You know, they they want they, what they need and what they want are homes in places where they want to live, that create the communities that the local authority depends on, and for them, I suspect the elongated and very lengthy technical debates are somewhat frustrating to them.
0: But what are these modern methods of construction that Ederoth is putting its hopes in? And what is the problem that Mark sees with current house building?
1: The term modern method of construction is one, again, that, that was a term adopted uh, in the UK three or four years ago and the the government produced a report that wanted to explore the benefits of different methods of delivering housing specifically. The existing house building capability in the UK is a very refined model it's been through a series of boom bust phases over several decades and therefore has produced uh, as I say a very refined vehicle for the delivery of housing but it is a very traditional model in the sense that you know it, it's low bearing brick laying exercise with traditional trades carrying out first second fix plumbing and electric so it's it's quite complex in terms of managing the logistics. It's quite inefficient in getting those labour teams to work uh, very effectively. But it does deliver, as I say, a large number of homes. So the issue for us in the UK is that if that's a very refined model that doesn't have the ability to scale up, so if, if the demand in the... So example is the demand in the UK at the moment, estimated by Shelter and others. Is 300,000 homes a year. The private sector's building about 140,000, 150,000 a year in that refined model. That means, you know, we're 140,000, 150,000 homes a year short of the required target. So that refined model is never going to stretch to deliver that kind of volume. We have to find another vehicle.
0: This meant, first of all, looking abroad to research other methods of doing things. And when it comes to building structures rapidly, a couple of places immediately emerged, as you might expect.
1: The government explored, as we did, uh, overseas to see what was happening elsewhere in the world. And as you might expect, in, in places like Japan and China, where in recent decades they've seen huge economic growth, in parallel with that growth, they needed to deliver housing to these cities at a phenomenal rate. And so when when that was looked at, they have produced models for delivering homes that are produced at huge volume, at great speed, in factories. And that's what's called modern method of construction.
0: At great speed and in factories. So, off-site manufactured housing, essentially. Mark says that this can be achieved in a number of different ways.
1: Some of them are modular in the sense that you build entire modules in a factory some of them are hybrid versions of that so uh, maybe bathroom pods and kitchen pods that then go into a system that is constructed of wall panels but all of them uh, follow a pattern of a large proportion of the work being undertaken in a factory and then rapid on-site assembly which does a number of things fundamentally it allows you to create a very controlled, safe environment where the conditions inside that environment are are controlled. You're not exposed to external weather conditions, for example. Your ability to quality check what's going on is somewhat enhanced. And um, you know, as you reproduce these systems, you're able to perform more efficiently and quicker and quicker. So there are lots of potential upsides to it.
0: The idea that the prefabrication of housing units is labelled modern and something that Britain needs to import is a little ironic to Mark, considering the history of this method.
1: So I laugh a little bit when we talk over here about modern method construction because actually some of the systems that are being employed in Japan and China and to some degree in North America were systems that actually the UK developed some of these principles post-Second World War because we needed to rapidly house people who had either lost their homes through the war or were returning home from military service overseas in some form or other, and we had to house them. And the government had a a crisis and an emergency at that point, and we developed some of those systems.
0: This is a legacy that has to be addressed. Although there are now many examples internationally of high-quality structures built from factory components, the government is trying to ensure that housing developments here are trusted. And most of all, mortgageable.
1: The method that the government is following quite rightly to give confidence is through accreditations in this field through NHBC, which is obviously a well-known traditional uh, insurer and accreditor of housing in the UK, and also BOPASS, which is uh, another accreditation system that looks very closely at the design, uh, manufacturing and construction of these products to help underpin the principle of quality and an accredited product and an insured product that then allows the ultimate recipient of the house to have confidence that it is a high-quality, high-performing product that, that will not deteriorate rapidly and will perform as we need houses to perform for decades.
0: Mike McNicholas, Managing Director of the Infrastructure Division at Atkins, sets out what these structures will actually consist of.
2: There's only 130 parts to build the house. Like all buildings, we have um, foundations, which, uh, you know, good old fashioned concrete, but we, we're doing that now in a systemized way. So we have concrete foundations and precast concrete. So you'll see all of that on the back of lorries everywhere. The, the key
0: component to our solution is the light gauge steel frame. One of the benefits of manufacturing in a factory is that the improved quality control means that you make steel members lighter and thinner than you could on site. The quality of the concrete is also more uniform. I asked Mike to describe the steel frame itself for the engineers amongst our listeners. It's what you might have seen
2: if anyone's been in a office building before they put the suspended floor down it looks like that sort of steel very thin almost like if you look up in a, a shed you see the purlin steel the z-shapes it's that sort of steel it's not the big chunky girders it's very very thin and it's cold form people think steel is it's those big things like girders and
0: it's not like um, anything you'd get on sydney harbour bridge and the quality of this frame is the key for the accreditation mentioned earlier. So that
2: that makes the product Bopass accredited, means it's accredited
0: for offsite assembly, and makes it it mortgageable, so really important. The rest of the house is largely constructed from panels that are transported to the site on the back of flatbeds and in lorries, then set up in under two days. We're more of a
2: panelised system, which you can quickly assemble, and it's just made out of normal things there's no magic to it there's no magic materials as such no uh, no nanotechnology yet maybe it would be no no graphene or any of those advanced materials and that's one of the beauties of it we, we just adapted something that's there already which makes it very scalable it looks very simple and it, it's almost you could say when you're building it people might say what's all the fuss about but in two days you've got a watertight building and the fact that you know it can be done in a factory and done quickly and cost effectively is the key so it's very very
0: cost effective in that regard here's mark again
1: this isn't about something that's never been done before and we need to continue to use the lessons of history to inform the decisions that we make in particular Therefore, we wanted to make sure that if we were going to deliver homes in this sector, they needed to meet minimum space standards. Now, that's not a silver bullet, that there is a need for temporary housing that maybe doesn't meet those standards. There is indeed, you know, in high density situations um, in certain city locations, a demand for smaller homes, pocket living, call it what you may. So I don't think we're trying to be holier than thou or suggest that you know all things have to follow our model. But I think we do feel that if we're going to provide a long-term solution and provide local authorities with assets that will perform for decades, then we need to provide environments that support the way people want to live today and have the capability of supporting expanded living in the future.
0: The government is considering a change of legislation that would allow people to convert loft space into bedrooms without seeking planning permission or even adding stories on top of houses that are structurally capable of supporting them. This should
1: be provided for in the
0: design. Then there is the issue of climate targets.
1: Whether they need to be passive house or completely carbon net zero uh, at this point in time I think is debatable. And and that's come out of some of the conversations we've had with local authorities because there is a bit of a conundrum for some of them at the moment in the sense that we, we don't want tenants to be forced into uh, what's called fuel poverty because their fuel bills are high. And actually, if you move from a traditional gas boiler solution, gas happens to be a relatively cheap energy form when compared to electric. But gas means that it's very difficult to meet a net zero target because it's carbon-based fuel. If you switch to electric, at the moment, the equipment to achieve that electric performance in the house is much higher than the cost of a gas boiler. In addition to which, the unit cost of electric compared to gas is much higher. So whilst the performance of the building meets the carbon net zero target that we're all you know, is the, is the nirvana, actually there is a risk that it drives some of the tenants into fuel poverty because even though the amount of energy being used is lower because the unit cost is higher. And some contracts are locked into gas boiler
0: contracts for the near future, for example, and it just isn't feasible to buy out of these.
1: Equally, some local authorities have long-term contracts for the delivery and maintenance of gas boilers that they can't just exit the cost of exiting them is too high. So we have to create a roadmap and a journey that I think is the more sensible approach and that that journey will allow us to get to a really good place from a position that's not very bad, actually. yeah, We're not building, no one's seeking, whether it's a private sector house builder or, or the public sector house building fraternity that we're trying to work with, housing associations and registered providers, for example. We're all quite rightly tasked with making sure that we're producing things of very high quality meeting very high standards uh, and and hitting very strict environmental targets and that's correct but we can't wait until we can produce the perfect house
0: as mentioned earlier all of these houses will be built on unwanted brownfield sites these are situated within existing communities greater manchester's brownfield sites are often linked to existing infrastructure and utilities with access to education, healthcare, everything you would need. As well as solving the homelessness problem, the National Housing Federation, which represents the country's social housing providers, has previously estimated that every new social home built generates an additional £108,000 to the economy and creates 2.3 jobs. With these brownfield sites unattractive to traditional development, it is an opportunity to bring something out of nothing Although, of course, there is a need for upfront investment.
1: And often that comes through what's called the public works loan body, which is effectively a government-backed scheme to allow access to funds at low interest rates, lower than you can get in the commercial market, which should be attractive to local authorities. But local authorities' ability to borrow that money is dependent on the value of their existing assets. So there's a bit of a catch-22 in there, and if they can't use, for example, the capital receipts that they receive from the sale of land to invest in redevelopment, or they only get a small portion of it, then the access to available funding is somewhat limited. So we need to look at those issues, and the government needs to make some changes to the way local authorities are able to borrow and use the capital receipts that are generated from the sale of land. In fact, make that a prerequisite, that the sale of land, the capital receipt, has to be utilised for the remediation and development of social and affordable housing in that borough. That would be a great step forward.
0: Mark argues that there has never been a better time to borrow with interest rates so low. But there are other options, such as pension funds, which are very risk averse and long-term focused,
1: and they like investing in government projects. So, again, I think funding is available, but we need to help local authorities understand what that looks like.
0: Mike explains how he conceptualizes the system working. So we 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 are the the agent effectively that says, you have a
2: site. We will assess the site. We will say it's suitable for so many of our Ederoth houses we would then go and work with the client to take the land we build the facility and we'd hand the buildings back to the client who would then own the houses through the livestock of the house and we will arrange for tenants to come and occupy the house so that's a very simple model so we we, we call ourselves development manager because that's what the um, the market would understand we take a piece of land, we develop it into occupiable units of residency, but it happens to be social housing and that, that's our current business model.
0: And with this process and methodology, Mark thinks that these techniques can knock 20% off traditional development costs, but only if certain order volumes are maintained. With runaway success, they believe this sort of housing can become even cheaper.
1: So. Our ambition over the next few years is, we think, realistic. We know that we can't suddenly turn up and tell everybody we can build tens of thousands of homes. If clients come forward, we can probably deliver up to two, two and a half thousand this year. And we needed to create that capability anyway, because we needed to make sure that we were scalable, that we had strength in depth and that the supply chain was at a scale that was viable for a scalable business. So not a cottage industry. And, you know, that's our investment. To feed that investment, we will need to persuade a number of authorities to to give us an opportunity to develop for them value from their brownfield sites and deliver homes on them. And we're in advanced conversations with eight local authorities currently. And we have a watch list in truth that runs into several hundred.
0: At the moment, the focus is on working with willing authorities to get some projects underway.
1: What we have to be careful of is, as I said earlier on, that we focus our efforts at the moment with those local authorities who are thinking differently and are willing to be bold enough to move in this direction of adopting a slightly different approach to the delivery of social affordable homes and embrace the modern method of construction technologies. And there appear to be enough of those. You know, our ambition is, is to say, to grow sensibly. We'd like to see two, three, four hundred homes going through our factory in the next 12 months. And if more local authorities are, are rapid adopters, then, as I say, we can double, triple or quadruple that number and that would be a great thing to do.
0: And Mike concludes the interview with the real reason the team are excited about the project.
1: It's sort of what we get out of
2: bed to do in the morning. We, we, we've sort of landed on something that that makes our staff feel great about we're solving a problem. And I think we we think it works is because we wanted to put our efforts as science and engineers on solution rather than debating the problem. And I think we landed on that. And um, that's what's driven us to keep going. So we've still got the vision in our mind about something that's, that's doing the right thing but it's doing it whilst doing the right thing you know it's 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 moving the industry forward you know it's creating jobs for ourselves it's creating work for our staff but it's about doing it because it's a fantastic thing to be involved in and a fantastic problem to solve so i think that's what gets us out of bed in the morning what 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 it, it did in 2016 and it still does today and long more may it ever do
0: Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, Alex Conacher, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervisor is John Young, and our own prefabricated shelter is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Andy Redfern, founder of LiveShare, the modular housing project that aims to create purpose-built shared homes. Also to Mark Powell, the managing director of Ederoth, and Mike McNicholas, managing director of the Atkins Infrastructure Division.